0: An auspicious start to where my um, my preach this morning. Um, I left my uh, normal glasses in Bond last time we were down there, so I'm wearing the ones that I use for my jigsaw puzzles, which are a, a bit different. <laughs> so. so um, Do we uh, just different <laughs> <laughs> right I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start by reading the account it's quite a long one so I hope your glasses don't let me down um, it's important I think to get the context even for the kids to get the context because I'm going to be asking them to, uh, to do something so we've, we've got to the stage where Babylon has fallen Darius is now in charge At this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So, the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever! The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next thirty days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians which cannot be repealed. So, King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next thirty days anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, He was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. And he couldn't sleep. At the first light of dawn the king got up and hurried to the lion's den when he came near the den he called to daniel in an anguished voice daniel servant of the living god has your god whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions daniel answered "O king live forever my god sent his angel and he shut the mouth the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted In his God. At the king's command the the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children and before they reached the floor of the den the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Quite a story, isn't it? I mean, you know, I've got to be honest, I did... You know, ham it up a little bit. Because, you know, we sometimes read the Bible very blandly. We should never do that. (laughs) I've got to tell you, you should probably, more often than you do, read the Bible out loud to yourself. Mm -hmm. And maybe sometimes actually pretend that you're an actor. (laughs) You know, just, just just to make it, you know, start to come to life. The truth of the matter is, when it really comes to life, it's going to be God that does it he's going to actually speak in through perhaps what you express. So I would always encourage you to do that. Now, I don't suppose we found the... Um, oh, we found it. Oh, good. Oh, excellent. Right. I want to do a quick review of Daniel's timeline. Um, so let's start. Right. We've got to remember that Daniel didn't just sort of have a normal life. He was actually sent into exile. <laughs> Jeremiah had been prophesying uh, that this was going to happen for almost 25 years by this point. These 7,000 families, and that would have been somewhere in the region of 30,000 men, women and children, um, were the cream of those taken from Jerusalem. Jerusalem. It included Judah's current king and a lot of the nobles. I've got some questions for you. And kids, you can join in with this. I want to ask a question. I'm going to give you four options. How far was it that they had to travel from Jerusalem to to Babylon? Was it 300 miles, 600 miles, 900 miles or 1,200 miles? Right, hands up for 300 miles. Okay, no takers there. 600 miles? No takers there? 900 miles? Some takers there? More takers? 1,200 miles? Well, actually, it was 900 miles. But, listen, I want to know, and especially from the kids... Hands up, anybody who's travelled 900 miles or more for a holiday or to visit family and friends. Right. Brilliant. How did you get there? Did you Did you walk to you went on a plane. Anybody else go any other go any other way? Travel nine hundred miles any other way? No. Yeah. Right. Okay. So they must have chartered a few planes to get them from um, Jerusalem to uh, Babylon. What do you think? Did, did they do that? No. Why was that? Because they didn't have planes. Oh. Ah. So. Maybe, maybe they chartered a big fleet of buses to get those thirty people there. It, would that work? But Why not? Well, train? Wow. train? Mm-hmm. Any chance of them chartering, maybe putting them in? Okay. No. Why not? They didn't have trains. So, what does that leave? they had to walk 900 miles how long do you think it would take you to walk 900 miles oh a very very large number of days in fact it would have taken them several months because if you think 30,000 people you know sort of move they had to keep stopping and camping and You know they were carrying. You know they were carrying whatever they had. They didn't have anything any other way of carrying any belongings. So it was a long way and it was hard work. Several months. Now, let me see. Let's go on to the next one. Do you know? Daniel was about 15 when he made that journey. And all through that journey, he must have been wondering what life had in store for him. He was forced to leave Jerusalem. I mean, they didn't have a choice. They weren't going to be, you know, so, well, you, you know, you, okay, you don't want to go, you can stay. No. The people that were selected had no choice. They had to go. So he must have been feeling pretty strange about it all. I mean he wouldn't have even known where he was going really. You know. It's sort of like if we had an invading army come to Swindon and picked 7,000 families and said right, you're walking to Belarus." It's kind of like that. I mean we see things on the news nowadays so we've got a little bit of a better idea of it than then. But it's not a particularly place that you would want to go to, let alone walk to. Kids, I'm going to need some help from you. I need you to do some colouring. There is a picture of a friendly lion and there is a picture of a ferocious lion. Yeah, I didn't draw This is all all down to Becky finding the right things. Now, I would like you to colour these in, and this is the challenge. I want you to make the friendly lion as friendly as you can make it by colouring it in, and the ferocious lion as ferocious as you can make it by colouring it in. Okay? Yes. You guys want to come gather down here with them? Can you hand those those ones out? Can you hand those ones out? There's loads of them, so you can have two goes. Right. So, Babylonian training complete. Um, almost immediately Daniel was called on to do that thing of interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Now he was about he was about nineteen, something like that. But he wasn't as you remember from what's been preached before he was he wasn't just having to interpret a dream he was actually having to tell nebuchadnezzar what the dream was about so i i don't know about you but something like that had come to me when i was 19 i might i mean i might i was fairly confident you know as an individual but i'm not too sure if i'd have been quite so confident if i was 900 miles away from home and you know sort of being pushed to learn things that I didn't agree with. I think I wouldn't have been confident. So quite a guy already even at the age of 19. This next one is actually an important one. Jerusalem defeated again. 3,023 more families were sent into exile. Included Ezekiel, you might recognise the name of Ezekiel. Now, Jeremiah was still prophesying. He was getting all sorts of beating up and unpleasant treatment because of what he was prophesying. But he's, he'd been prophesying about a basket of good things and a basket of bad things. And the bad things were definitely not things that you would want to put anywhere near your mouth. And so the people in Jerusalem were thinking, oh good, oh good. Perhaps these people that are going into exile are the bad things and we'll be okay. They were very pleased when Jeremiah told them it was the other way around. I want you to really note that um, Ezekiel was one of those going into exile. It's quite important. Because the next one, the next one that comes up Ezekiel receives his prophetic calling. He was about 30, well he was 30 at the time he actually said so in the Bible. Now he was a contemporary of Daniel. He might have been a couple of years older, something like that, but somewhere in that sort of region. But the important thing about this was that Ezekiel, given his prophetic calling, was stepping at the age of 30 into a role that was more important than the one that he would otherwise have stepped into. Because he was due at the age of 30 to start serving in the temple in Jerusalem. No priests served until they were 30. And then they had a set time that they actually fulfilled that role for. This is really important because we have actually the third of the major prophets starting their work. Just a pointer to you, Daniel was also one of the major prophets but he hadn't started writing his prophetic work at this stage. Isaiah was less than a hundred years before these guys. Certainly a lot less than a hundred years before um, Jeremiah. So, where are we up to? What's the next one? Oh! Jeremiah. Sorry, not Jeremiah. The king who had been placed as a puppet king on the throne in uh, Judah did a very silly thing. He decided to change sides from the Babylonians to the Egyptians. You can imagine that that was quite annoying for uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And as a result, Nebuchadnezzar came against um, Jerusalem. Now, I just want to tell you something. It's a little bit of an aside. The king that um, Nebuchadnezzar took into exile was called he was Jesus' ancestor. It was through him in exile that David's line continued to Jesus. I want to make sure I know where I am. Excuse me. Right. So. Next one then. Here we have it. Jerusalem falls. The temple's destroyed. The very last few good figs go into exile. Jeremiah had told Zedekiah he wouldn't be killed when Jerusalem fell. He prophesied it. I have a sneaking suspicion that Zedekiah may have preferred to die. Before he died, he was forced to watch his ministers and his sons being killed. And then he was binded. That was the last thing he saw. He was the last king in Judah until Jesus was crowned with a crown of thorns. Something to be aware of. It's also the time, by the way, that the sense of it incident took place. Let's move to the next timeline. Oh, Oh, sorry, yes. Just to confirm the timeline that happened. So, we heard recently about Nebuchadnezzar and the tree and the vision and the interpretation of the dream, etc., etc. Nebuchadnezzar dies. I mean, you know, he was getting a little bit older. He had quite a life. He was actually a soldier, he did actually fight. For some of the time and he's replaced by a succession of short-lived kings and the next one this guy called Nabonius becomes king of Babylon you might recognize his son points as co-regent also something that happens in this time period 553-549 Daniel experiences a vision Of the four terrifying beasts that he later wrote about but he was told to keep it to himself. And again a little bit later Daniel receives a vision of a ram and a goat. This vision exhausts him. He is starting to receive the information that becomes the prophetic part of his book. And then of course we get the stuff with um, Belshazzar, and suddenly Cyrus, Emperor of Persia, captures Babylon, and he appoints Darius the Mede as Viceroy of Babylon. I know we, you know, there's a discussion goes on about whether they are both the same person, Cyrus and Darius. Just for the purposes of you know simplicity, for me, I'm just going to pretend they're different people. Whether they're the same or not, we'll find out possibly eventually. So, onto the account of the Daniel and the lions. So, I don't know what the first one is that i put up there now, what's the next? Ah, so Darius appoints um, 120 satraps, so they were regional governors if you like, under three administrators and Daniel was one of those administrators. He so impressed in his administrative role that within a year, Darius decided to make him prime minister. I I think that's pretty pretty the equivalent. He might not have been elected, but they didn't elect people in those days. So he was appointed, and I think uh, Darius was planning to make him prime minister. Now, the thing is that I suspect that there was a bit of corruption going on between some of the administrators and the satraps, and they did not like this idea because it would mean they would be in trouble or they would not be able to you know, sort of take a little bit of money. I suspect there might have been something that like that going on because we are talking about politics. Um, you know, if you think about it, we've seen several leadership elections in political part- parties over recent years. One of the things that is very clear is that when you get these people vying to become party leader they might be from the same party they do everything that they can to undermine the other people everything that they can you might say something's going to change except there was a problem because Daniel they couldn't find anything that he'd done wrong They couldn't undermine him. It wasn't possible. So, they decide to persuade um, Darius to produce a decree that's a really foolish decree. And the only reason he does it is because they flattered him. They built they bigged him up. They made him think, oh yeah, I'm, I'm the man. I'm the man, yeah, I'm going to go for this. And they had told him that all the administrators, And all the satraps, and I don't think it was all of them, I think it was two administrators Mm -hmm. and a few satraps. They persuaded him to produce this decree. It was a stupid decision that he was very quickly going to regret. So he issues the decree. It was very easy for the administrators and the satraps to know exactly when Daniel prays. I get the impression that Daniel set his day around his prayer times rather than setting his prayer times around his other activities. So it's easy. Yep. report him to Dallas. Oh my goodness me. Darius now realises he's been youth, doesn't he? I mean, it's kind of obvious. It's the last thing he wanted to happen. But he set the decree. He has to throw Daniel into the lion's den. And it's really interesting that there is this stone placed over it and sealed with a royal seal. seal of the nomads. Does that remind you of anything? A stone being rolled across an entrance. I think that's an interesting one. I don't see any more just you know, one of those things that you look like, oh. So, actually, has anybody got a friendly line picture that they'd like to show? You can carry on with your coloring after this, by the way. Just doing it? I can tell you, I can see you can look at them afterwards. But the friendly lion looks quite nice. Still looks as though he's a lion, you know, but he looks quite nice. Okay, keep going. So, where have I got up to? Let's find the notes. I told glasses were a of a When Darius approached that tomb and it was just at the first light of dawn so even before sunrise he he had wanted to be able to get Daniel out of that lion's den. And he rushed up to the lion's den and he's shouting before he gets there. Daniel, are you okay? Has your God saved you? And let's not pretend but this is something that is kind of obvious that was going to happen. It absolutely isn't. I don't suppose these lions in the lion's den were fed that much because they wanted to keep them hungry so that when the punishment came. she there's another small thing that I just want to mention. Um, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den alone. It was the custom for that in those days that if somebody was punished, it wasn't just them that were punished, the family was punished as well. Daniel was thrown in alone. Suggests that he wasn't married, didn't have a family. I know that there's an apocryphal book that's called Susanna, who is supposed to be the um, wife of Daniel, but I think that's a bit of a flippity gibbet, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. He was thrown into the lions alone. In a sense, that makes it harder. You know? He was on his own. So first thing that Darius knows is actually has him raised out of the lions' den. Stone rolled away, raised. It's an interesting one. I've never, never thought about this before. Not going to dwell on it, but you, know, you just read your Bible and you see things that you've never seen before, even if you've read it loads of times. That's why I say you know, it's worthwhile speaking it out. And, uh, Darius is furious with the administrators and the satraps him. They go into the lion's den with their wife and their children. And the lions are really hungry and there is no angel to protect them. It's what they did in those days but <sighs> not nice. I don't think I would have even been wanting to be around to see it happening. It would be absolutely horrid. But it's a reality. We can't pretend that that sort of thing didn't happen. Where have I got up to? um... Ah! Brilliant. Do you remember Nebuchadnezzar did more or less the same thing? I've just got a curious question in my head. I wonder if we'll meet them in eternity. Ooh. So many people. And you know what? I don't think, we've probably got a lot of questions we'd like to ask them, but actually I don't, I don't think that, that we'll, they'll be relevant when we get there. What we'll want to know about them is how they met Jesus and what they'll want to know about us is how they met Jesus. Yeah. Because when that happens, wow! Well, you just have to worship, don't you? When you hear people talking about their, their their salvation stories, you have to worship. It's just fantastic. Three things I want to highlight from this account of Daniel and the lions. Uh, not yet. From the beginning beginning to the end, Daniel is consistent in the observance of his faith, but especially prayer, especially prayer. He never claimed it was him interpreting Greeds. did you notice that? He never claimed that. He was just the messenger and he always made it clear, his was always a very selfless approach. Most of us wouldn't be very good at that if we're really honest. In the lion's den account we get the detail of how he prayed. He went upstairs to a room with windows that faced towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees and prayed three times a day, at least three times a day. See the thing is that the praying through the window towards Jerusalem comes from Solomon's prayer when he dedicated the temple. Of course the temple's being destroyed now, but Daniel knows that Jerusalem is the city of God. He also knows that God <laughs> is present with him in Babylon. That must have been a real big woe for him. Yeah. You know? But nevertheless, because biblically he knew that that was the thing to do, that's why he was going for that window. And the reason he prayed um, three times a day is because he told him to in Psalm 55. He knew his Bible such as he had it. Now you've got to remember that whatever they had, they had to carry themselves. We know that Jeremiah sent letters to the um, exiles. But otherwise, if you think about it, they didn't have all that much in the way of Scripture, not like we have now. I mean, they didn't have Ezekiel. Well, they were getting it. They had a bit of Jeremiah, although the first time he published his book, uh, it was killed, It was destroyed by the king. They didn't have any of the Daniel ones, all the ones that followed them. And they certainly didn't know anything about the New Testament except what these prophets prophesied. Daniel knew his scripture. And I think that Daniel was able to take faith risks and write a book contained very powerful prophecy was because he included listening in his prayer time. Prayer should always be a two-way communication. It's really difficult to learn. If you're anything like me, when you sort of shut your mouth and you start to try and listen, mind goes wandering off into irrelevancies. You know that's that's, I, that's me some of you are not even, so I feel a lot better um, the thing is it's easy for us to do that we often also come with lists I mean hands up people that come to God with, with lists I, I'd be surprised if, if, if you know sort of anybody occasionally doesn't come with lists might not be written down but it's up here yeah nothing wrong with lists but sometimes God has to break focus on our prayer lists so we listen to and recognise his voice above our own because we need to hear his priorities it is so easy for us to get far too focused on our own priorities he said you're going to need for nothing. It's in right. But we sometimes forget that. We forget to listen to what his prayer So, when you pray, try to learn to listen more than to speak. I've got to tell you, I, I'm still really trying to learn that uh, lesson. Let's have a little solo, please. Oh, Daniel prays and fasts for what lies ahead for the Jewish people in exile. He had read Jeremiah and he'd read about the 70 years. But I think that in his prayer time God said, here it is. Let me give you the exact times what's going to happen. And I think Daniel knew. And therefore he prayed an amazing prayer in chapter 9, which is part of the prophetic book that he wrote. But boy, by the time he got to that end of that prayer, I reckon he was buzzing. He was buzzing because he knew that they were going to be heading home soon. But I, I just want to make a point. I think he was listening. So prayer and listening, really, really important, really difficult to do. Now, there's a lot of things, this is the second thing, there's a lot of news, um, a lot of things in the news at the moment about retirement age. In Daniel's time, there was no fixed retirement. Bear in mind that Daniel was 80 when he was appointed. Time, so. in the West we have come to see retirement as a right don't be fooled it isn't a right it's a privilege okay yeah. no one understand the difference because it will do things do different things to your heart I'm not sure about this I haven't been able to spend the time to find out but I think Daniel died uh, before the exiles returned to Jerusalem and I'm guessing I might not be right on this I'm guessing he stayed as Prime Minister until he died. But there's something more important. Because he finished his book of prophecy. This is what, Daniel, what, Daniel, what God said to Daniel recorded in the last verse of his book, so he must have written this down. As for you, this is God speaking to Daniel, as for you, Go your way to the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. The word rest in this context refers to death. Maybe he wrote those words, put his pen down, and stepped into eternity. Maybe he made sure there were copies made, and at least some of them got back to Jerusalem actually these are the sort of things that we don't know, we think we might ask him when we meet him again in eternity but actually as I say I'm not sure if we'll think those things are quite so other than then mm-hmm. one for the oldies there is no retirement in this salvation mm-hmm. you work until you step into eternity. I can class myself among the oldies there. Yeah? I've done my preschool years in ten, So, you know, I don't mind saying it to them because I'm saying it to myself as well. Finally, last one. Daniel was a super influencer. We hear a lot about social media influencers, but Don't forget journalists and politicians and TV shows and radio programs and music and books and so on and so on. There are hundreds of things and hundreds of people that try and influence us. We need to be constantly aware of that. Most of the influence that people try and put on us is because they can make money out of it. Daniel may have benefited from some of the things he did, but that wasn't why he did them. God brought Daniel into such a place of influence that Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel made it known throughout their kingdoms and to their subjects who the one and only true God is. And to do that, Daniel had to put his life on the line more than once to fulfil what God wanted from him. What about us? Actually, it's unlikely that we'll be asked to put our life on the line. But actually, I know of one person from Swindon who has done exactly that. Because she was, and still is, willing to face death. There are people alive today who would otherwise be dead. And there are many who are now... Followers of Jesus. People who are now are brothers and sisters in Christ. <coughs> Still happens. So I can't say that you'll never have to put your life on the line. But mostly God doesn't ask us to put our life on the line. Mostly. We, however, are called to be influencers to the people God has placed around us. And by the way, I really do believe that he has placed specific people around us that he loves for us to influence for him. He wants them to get to know Jesus and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. All we need to do is to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. It isn't about clever strategies or tools, although they can be quite useful. It's about personal evangelism. It really is important. There isn't a better way. We're all going to measure ourselves for a moment and think, "I could do better. Do better." But I think that's what God would say to us. You know, just do better. Let me work through you. It's not as though we have to try just that we have to listen and respond. Sometimes you get a person who is in your influence sphere that you actually haven't noticed. I would encourage you to actually ask God, am I missing someone? Because it's very easy to sometimes miss people who are actually part of our sphere of influence. Just in case... You think this doesn't apply to you? I have a personal message directly from Jesus to each one of you as an individual. It's a personal message. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all I have commanded and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age You know, he wasn't just saying that to the I don't know, 200 or 500 disciples that were around him at the time he was speaking to us Now I've lost a bit. There it is. I wrote it on the back of the wrong piece of paper. I wasn't satisfied with finishing it there, um, and I didn't know how to finish it. Well, I just sort of woke up this morning. Oh, while well, I was still in bed. I was still the sort of only half minute. God reminded me of a song I used to sing in Sunday school. So you'll appreciate this in a very long time. <laughs> the last verse and the chorus say this. Hold the gospel banner high onto victory ground. Satan and his host defy and shout for Daniel's band. And the chorus, dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. And dare to make it known. Okay, are you up for it? Are you willing to look at Daniel and dare to be as brave and as strong as he was in the place that God has put you in? That's it, I'm done.